You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a podcast by The Local made possible by our members. We are recording this episode on Thursday the 27th of April, ahead of the long May Day weekend. And this week we're going to kick off with the culture shocks people experience when moving to Sweden. We'll discuss why the far-right Sweden Democrats are threatening to bring down the government over a new EU migration pact. We'll talk about the sweet story with a sour twist of a 12 year old asylum seeker who has raised more than four million kroner for a children's charity this week but was subjected to racism on social media and finally we'll chat with our guest Lola Akinmare Okerström and among other things we will ask her why her novel set in Stockholm that shines a light on racism and has enjoyed a lot of success abroad doesn't yet have a Swedish publisher. I'm your host Paul Omahani and I'm joined in Stockholm this week by James Savage and our guest Lola Akinmare Okerström and in our Malmö studio, we have Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 And welcome to the podcast, Lola. And before we dig into this week's stories, can you please tell listeners a little bit about yourself, why you came to Sweden and what you're doing here? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. So I am an author, a travel photographer for the likes of National Geographic. I'm a speaker. I was born in Nigeria, uh, lived in the U.S. for 16 years, so I'm a naturalized American. And then I uh, ended up in Sweden because I met a man. And that's the shot <laughs> summary of how I, how I ended up here. <laughs> I think we're all in the same place. Exactly. Well, not all. Not Paul. Paul's not. <laughs> no, no, but they got me in the end. <laughs> yes. Uh, thanks very much, Lola, and we look forward to hearing much more from you soon. Before we get into this week's political news, let's talk a little bit about the culture shocks readers of The Local have experienced after moving here. We had an article on this late last week. Richard, can you give us an idea of some of the things readers are telling us? People use this as an opportunity to kind of vent their frustration. So it was it was a barrage of negativity. Oh and no. if we had asked, you know, what things about Sweden makes you smile, I think we would have got a completely different yes. um, set of answers. But the other thing that was interesting is how it varied depending on where people came from, obviously. But so, for example, people from Eastern Europe, their big complaint was conflict avoidance. They were going, people mm. don't have the, the balls to express their own opinions. Everyone holds it to themselves. They can't find out what people really think. They only sort of express the kind of group consensus view. And then for Brits, it was, you know, 
Where are the pubs? There's no pubs. Where are the pubs? <laughs> God, Priorities. no. Is that, is that written, really? We've got a lot of Brits saying, you know, well, you know, there's only these grim pizza places in the countryside. There's nowhere to eat out. And then for Americans, a lot of it was small talk, you know, not mm. talking to strangers. And for Indians, a lot of Indians find it very difficult. The public nakedness in changing rooms for swimming pools, for example, something that you wouldn't do in India. You'd be more, you wouldn't sort of stride out naked into the room you would sort of always have your towel around you or something so so there were those things but the one thing that everyone had in common i'm afraid is that it's very hard to meet people and swedes are antisocial okay. and they don't talk to anyone and that was you know across the board pretty much mm. um, <laughs> apart from actually east some of the eastern european people seem to think that swedes were actually quite friendly <laughs> i mean so people talked about in the sociability things people talked about how people don't make eye contact in public people don't come to your aid if you have a problem in public you know if, if there's a kind of mad person harassing you on the on the underground everybody everybody just stares at the floor and you know your problem mate people said that you know their neighbors don't talk to them work colleagues don't socialize with them these were all culture shocks we've done another version of the article which is specific for indians and one thing they found weird was the flat hierarchy in the workplace so if it, in mm. india you would always call your boss sir and or, or mom or mom uh, mom and the same goes for your university teachers you know there's a lot of indian students and they found it strange that they're supposed to call their university teacher you know sven or mario or whatever it is and then finally i suppose another thing that people especially from cultures which have a sort of culture of generosity found difficult was the sort of perceived meanness of swedes you know how everybody pays for their bills separately on swish after a restaurant meal and somebody told this someone from southeast asia told this depressing story about their host ringing them up asking if they wanted three potatoes or four <laughs> with their meal when they came down later <laughs> which I thought was horrific and so this some, was in, in advance they phoned them up in, in advance, advance to ask yeah do you want oh, three wow. potatoes or four <laughs> God. that's and, and, amazing and someone else said they'd had to sit and wait while their host ate a steak dinner which they had prepared just for the family and it wasn't for the guests. So they had to sit there and watch their hosts eat steak and then they were given beer while their host drunk wine, which I don't know. I mean, that's that's something I, I wouldn't expect Swedes to do that. But that, isn't that the thing that there's a big sort of, I, 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 I'm using scare quotes, scandal with Swedengate, which was specifically focused on kids, but it was like, you know, if kids were at someone else's house, uh, at a friend's house and the family had dinner, then the kid wouldn't be offered anything. Swedes are coming at it from a different perspective, of course. And that's with most of these things. Swedes are, you know, Swedes will say, oh, well, the sociability, we just don't want to invade other people's private space. We, you know, people, we want to leave people alone because people want to be left alone. And the whole Swedengate thing, well, this thing about not not feeding kids friends. It's like, well, look, the parents have probably made dinner for them at home or you're probably going to have your dinner at home later. I'm sure you've arranged your dinner and therefore... Yeah, let's let's bring Lolay on that because you had an article about this in the New York Times after yes. the whole Swedengate thing took off on social media and you saw it as a missed opportunity for self-reflection on Sweden's part. What can you tell us about that? No, absolutely. I mean, I think it was just a really big missed opportunity because when Swedengate kind of came about and everybody was like, ah, oh, Sweets don't feed the kids. I mean, they came at it with humor, with yeah. jovial kind of banter saying, we knew you weren't perfect after all. At least we found one cultural flaw, right? So instead of sweets to just kind of roll with it and say, you know what? Yeah, I mean, we are great in a lot of all these other things, but we are also human too. They didn't do that. They actually doubled down 
and so and so Sweden <laughs> gate actually escalated. And then people used it as an opportunity to then vent, saying, you know what, this is how I feel. I'm not being listened to. And then it just escalated and got into like really serious xenophobic territory yeah. and kind of ended with, you know, the, well, if you don't like it here, go home, right? Mm. And so what mm. I said was, that was such a missed opportunity because Sweden has been holding its breath publicly to always show this kind of perfect facade. And it would have been an opportunity to just, ah, okay, now we don't always have to be perfect globally. And remember, what creates human connection is when you show your vulnerability. Yeah. And so the more you see your weaknesses, the more we get connected and say, you know what, you're just like us. And it was also an opportunity to shed that stereotype of being cold and distant mm. and kind of not you can't connect to it. So, so I, I, that was the approach I took mm. to it. It was just a big missed opportunity because then the stereotype now remains, you know, just cold, distant, reserved yeah. because I can't connect because there is no <laughs> quote unquote flaw. Yeah, you know, and so uh, so that was why I wrote the article, and mm. and I got a lot of kind of great feedback. But that's such a good point because isn't there a point in the fact that Swedes that and and even the official official Sweden has has made a really big deal about promoting this the so called Sverige build the, yes. the image of Sweden abroad. We have an image of Sweden, and it is this 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 and this, and this is the image we promote, and this is the image we expect all Swedes to promote yes. abroad. And this is uh, and you and, and we shouldn't really deviate from yes, that. Yes, and I know because I have experienced you know many years uh, freelancing for the Swedish Institute and writing for Sweden's official website, and and being the official photo blogger for many years. So. So I know this, you know, based on experience, but uh, two things can also be true. We, that's all the things we love about Sweden. But then just show that, you know, you're also human too. It's yeah. okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be perfect. It doesn't make us see you any less. No. And so that was what, uh, unfortunately, Sweden gets highlighted. I mean, I think in Swedish media, they brought food experts to like, <laughs> you know, share opinions. And we're like... <laughs> It's not that serious. No, exactly. <laughs> it really yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah. that serious, you know. So, so that was uh, that was my point in that opinion piece for the New York Times, mm. and, and and people really resonated. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Really interesting. And we'll link to our most recent article on culture shocks in uh, the show notes. And indeed, we'll link to your New York Times piece as well if one of people want to go back and, and read that. Um, speaking of cultural differences, we should mention that it's Volboy this uh, Sunday. Will you all be attending bonfires to celebrate the arrival of spring? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I Let's move on. Exactly. Next question. <laughs> I, I might do, but I, you know, I've I've got a, a young daughter, and I really want to visit Valbor in Lund, but I think it might not be the most child-friendly uh, experience because it's mainly just a lot of students getting drunk, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I've I've had yeah. friends who've had Valboy dinners before, and it's always been great fun. Not going this year, but you know bonfires and singing and you know Swedes Swedes love singing yeah. and that's one of the lovely things about this country you know they have they, there are lots of songs associated particularly with with Valborg yes. um just like there is you know so drinking songs and you can you yeah. know continue the evening with drinking songs after you've sung the Valborg songs and that's lovely absolutely and and I'm glad you put the context of the drinking because mm. it's after a couple of drinks oh, <laughs> that, yeah, that the singing <laughs> that the singing comes out so. <laughs> if there's one thing Swedes like more than drinking 
drinking, it's singing after drinking. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Are there any songs about not feeding your children's friends? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but not yet. <laughs> haven't been written. Yeah, the oh, remix sorry. is that coming was, soon. So. <laughs> that, that, was, that was mean. Can anyone just briefly explain what Volboy actually is? Well, it's Valpurgis Night, technically. Now it's mainly seen as the... Depending on where in the country you live, like in Malmo, it feels like the celebration of summer arriving. But I think probably up in Stockholm or up in the north of Sweden, it's more like a celebration of spring arriving. Yes. Um, Definitely. We're just starting to see the buds now. Yeah. And it also happens to be the king's birthday, which makes it a very bourgeois experience. (laughs) uh, (laughs) The more working class. I mean, we are sitting here in RBF, which is like the... Arbetarnas Bildningsförbund. It's like the centre of of lefty Malmo. It, it literally has the most amazing sort of socialist, realist murals yeah. all mm. over the walls of sort of workers <laughs> constructing the new mm. Sweden. And it's I, fantastic. I, I think there's a reason why there's nothing about Valborg here, but there's lots of posters about 1st of May. Go on the 1st of May That's parade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There is a fantastic vintage poster that does the rounds in social media every time, at the, uh, every, every year on around, on around April the 30th, with, which is a guy sitting there contemplating contemplating taking a drink and the words are stop Valbori is a made-up festival made up by the bourgeois <laughs> don't turn up hungover to the first of may you're going to heed that warning i can tell <laughs> I'm, I'm more of Valbori man myself yeah. i'm not making any political statement with that <laughs> Okay, moving on. So Sweden is almost two-thirds of the way through its EU presidency, and one of the most important issues on the table during the country's six-month stint at the helm is getting agreement on a plan for member states to more equitably share the task of hosting refugees. European MPs voted last week in favour of opening negotiations with EU member states on the planned reform, which they hope to reach agreement on by spring next year. Now, the text for the draft deal was prepared by the moderate party MEP Thomas Tobier and the two other parties in Sweden's government, the Liberals and Christian Democrats, backed the deal. But it is fiercely opposed by the far-right Sweden Democrats on whose support the government relies for its continued existence. Can you fill us in on this, James, if we start with what the planned migration pact would require of member states? So the text calls for a mechanism of mandatory solidarity to ease the burden on member states states facing heavy refugee flows. So member states would either be required to take in asylum seekers from other EU countries, particularly those around the Mediterranean, or they would be required to send financial or material assistance to Mm. these countries. And most controversially of all, in the event of a sudden and major influx of, of, of migrants from outside of the EU, they could be forced to accept migrants on their own territory. And this is obviously something that is particularly difficult for Sweden Democrats to accept. Okay, and why are they so opposed to all of this? Well, there are two reasons, really. First is a matter of overarching principle. The Sweden Democrats are against handing power to the EU, Mm. particularly over, over core political issues like this. They until a few years ago, wanted to withdraw from the EU, and they, they're still a very Eurosceptic party. So more federalism at the EU level is absolutely against what they stand for. Secondly, of course, what we know is that the Sweden Democrats, what they're best known for and their biggest issue is being opposed to asylum migration specifically. So SD's main political question is reducing migration to Sweden. And this migration pact, in its current form, 
could potentially lead to Sweden having to accept many more migrants, mm. particularly if in, in the event that there's a serious situation in countries around the Mediterranean, which, you know, there will be. We're looking at, you know, Sudan right now, lots of refugees coming from Sudan. We're looking at, if we, if we can, the longer term, you know, the climate crisis could, um, according to many people, cause more, you know, water shortages and, and conflict in parts of Africa and the Middle East that could lead to more flows of, of, of climate refugees. So this is something that, that could lead to a situation that the Sweden Democrats very much want to avoid. And they've threatened to go as far as to bring down the government on this issue. How likely is that to happen, do you think? Well, okay. So Matthias Carlsson, who is known generally as the as the Sweden Democrats' chief ideologist, mm. he tweeted that if the pact became law as it is formulated right now, I can't see how the basis of our cooperation with the government, that is, could be maintained. Mm. But let me go out on a limb here and say that I think it's vanishingly unlikely that they would do so at least at the moment. First of all, they spent a lot of political capital on building this alliance with the centre-right parties, and they made a big deal of the fact that they have influence, and they've got nowhere else to go. They're not going to build a pact with with the Social Democrats. And the thing is that we're not there yet. Remember what this is. This is the European Parliament at the very early stages of the legislation process publishing this migration pact, which then has to go to the European Council. That's to say member states' governments. And only after they have agreed and fiddled around with the text and changed it and, let's be frank, watered it down, will this become law. So there are many opportunities to change it. And Sweden's migration minister, Maria Malmö-Stirnagard, has said that she will push for the parliament's proposal to be altered. So we're a long way from this becoming reality. But they kind of had to say something at this stage. But I think what's really interesting here is that one of the leading lights in the European Parliament behind this migration pact, which, you know, certainly if it were to become law, would, as, as I've said, would be absolutely in complete opposition to what the Sweden Democrats want. So one of the leading lights is Thomas Tubir. He is a moderate. He is a member of the governing party of Sweden with whom the Sweden Democrats are threatening to break. So this is a a very difficult situation for both the moderate party Mm. and I would say for the Sweden Democrats. As, as we've been as we've been looking at, you know, there are there are two areas, there are two forums where this where this is being played out. Yeah. First of all, in the Swedish government. Secondly, in the European Parliament. Now, in the European Parliament, what this has done is it's pushed the Sweden Democrats closer to some of those other far right parties from whom the Sweden Democrats have recently been trying to distance themselves. Mm. Parties like Le Pen's Rassemblement National from from France and and Flams Belang um, from from Belgium. So I think what we're seeing now perhaps is that this is another one of those issues. And we've seen it in recent months, I think, uh, in various other forums as well, where the Sweden Democrats are sort of being re-radicalised and moving further again towards the far right and shedding some of this veneer of being a more mainstream party. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for that roundup. And we'll add a link in the show notes to our story on this. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
One other story getting a lot of attention in Sweden this week centres on a 12-year-old boy called Murha Hamid from Glim Okra in southern Sweden who has smashed all previous records by selling more than 4 million kroner worth of My Blummur charity pin badges. Before we get into the details of this, Becky, can you first just explain what a My Blummer actually is? So yeah, uh, My Blummer are small kind of paper flowers. There's a new one every year, a new design every year, and mm-hmm. they are so on behalf of the My Blummer charity, which basically it's a children's charity. They kind of they raise money to help the yeah children in poverty and kind of children in Sweden that need need help essentially. And what do we know about this boy Murha Hamid and how he managed to sell so many My Blummer? Well, he was. I mean, his background is he is an asylum seeker or a, a child of asylum seekers. Uh, his he was born in Sweden almost twelve years ago. His parents are from Ethiopia. And their asylum application is still being processed, which means that he doesn't have a personal number or residency in Sweden, which is kind of crazy. Like to put that into perspective, some people qualify for citizenship after just three years living in Sweden if they have right of residency. That aside, he lives in Glimokra, which is kind of northwest Skåne, around 1,500 people, an area where the Sweden Democrats got 40% of the vote in the election yeah. last year. So they, they're the largest party there. And he essentially was out selling these these flowers, these, these pins. He'd been the subject of racist comments by kind of adults in the area. They wanted to kind of move him on. They said he shouldn't be there. And then he told his family friend Laila Oraman who kind of wrote a post about him on social media saying like oh I haven't seen the post myself but it's kind of explaining what happened and I think she sent a link to his digital web shop for these pins because you can buy them online now as well yeah this completely blew up someone started donating to show support he's even managed to sell them to Ulf Kristersson the prime minister and Magdalena Andersson the leader of the social democrats so um it kind of it just this post kind of turned it all on his head and people were just like, oh, of course, he shouldn't be re- receiving these comments. We must support him, this kind of thing. Um, and that's kind of what's happened there. And do we know what he plans to do with the money he has earned? Well, what he really wanted to do was buy a residence permit, which just completely like hit me in the heart. This 12 year old who all he wants yeah. to do is get to stay in Sweden like know that he's got the right to live in Sweden, but obviously you can't buy a residence permit. So he said instead that he'll maybe buy some new clothes, he'll buy some trainers, some presents for his family, a new phone, and maybe invest some of it, which when I was 12, I definitely did not know about <laughs> investing. So yeah, he's actually allowed, and I know I said he's raised it for charity, but the way that my Blummer works is that he can keep 10% of the total amount that he's, yes, he's raised. Yes, exactly. And also you can give a tip when you buy something. So I mean, the last I heard, he'd got over 100,000 kroner in tips, and then obviously 10% of like 4 million kroner is quite a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> so and 4 million was the figure we were seeing like last night. It's probably grown even more since then. Yeah, like he could almost like put a deposit down on a flat at this point. <laughs> so yeah, I hope he does invest some of it because because he will be set for life. Yeah. And what's the reaction been like to this story on social media? I mean, obviously there's the there's the really positive side of all these people donating to him. But there's there also the fact that he had to be moved on because people were making racist comments to him on the street and those moved online as well. I mean, what's the reaction been like? Yeah, so like you said, it's been overwhelmingly positive from most people, but there are obviously a few people or there's a group of people who have just been sending racist, horrible racist comments. 
there was one woman who described on Twitter who described herself as a Sweden Democrat who kind of commented on her story using racist and anti-immigrant slurs. She said that it should be a white Swedish child getting the attention. Mm. Unfortunately for her, though, that just backfired and people wanted to support him even more. So, uh, <laughs> so good. Yeah. She was, she um, was his, his best fundraiser. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. exactly. But um, I mean, not to not to kind of trivialize it. Um, yeah. And then like politicians have been speaking out kind of saying this is horrible. Children deserve respect. I think Ebba Bush said that all children deserve respect and shouldn't be met with hate. Um, Olaf Christensen was saying that he was a hero. It was a heroic effort. Magdalene Anderson said similar things. But Magdalene Anderson kind of used the opportunity to say to Olaf Christensen, like, you're collaborating with this party. Where do you draw the line kind mm. of thing? So she kind of used it in a bit of a political way as well. And there's been a few people saying like he shouldn't be used politically by either side of the, the spectrum. Mm. Although, I mean, it's worth, in the, in the interest of balance, it's worth pointing out that the Sweden Democrats were very, went, took a very hard line on this woman and, and, mm. and clamped down on her. Yeah. And I mean, Jimmy Orkerson has also come out and kind of said that Hamid shouldn't be getting those comments. And he mm. said that the party is kind of cut off this person and sent her to the membership committee. I do want to chime in because this was felt very personal for me because when I saw, first of all, very heartwarming that we all kind of rallied behind him and pushed him, you know, to just surpass his goals and break records. But then when I see him, I see my son. And, and yeah. when I see, and my son is an Afro-Swede, was born in Sweden, he is Swedish. And this is a boy that was born in Sweden. He's been here for 12 years and mm. is still not considered Swedish. Yeah. In the U.S., when you're born in the U.S., you're automatically an American citizen. You get your personal numbers. So this speaks to a deeper issue as well in terms of at what point are you Swedish? And when I saw a lot of the backlash, all I could see was my son mm. getting this kind of hate. Yeah. Especially somebody that was born here and considers himself Swedish. So that so it was kind of bittersweet in many ways that I love that you know love kind of triumphed in this in this case, but it it, it does speak to a deeper issue. At what mm. point are you really considered Swedish? Yeah. And receiving that kind of hate at that kind of age is yes, uh, must, must, yeah. must. Does any amount of love make up for hearing those kind of things said about you yeah. when you're a twelve-year-old boy? Twelve, a boy, and this also speaks to when we make kids of color see them as adults versus white kids, right? Mm. So they weren't seeing him as a little boy; they were already seeing him as a little man. Yeah, and that mm. is there's mm -hmm. so many different uh, levels to this. <laughs> Yeah, my daughter's been doing the uh, the same thing, the my blommer, and the her, the friend that she's been doing with it. Her parents are from Ghana, and I remember with them, I I met a Ghanaian woman in Falkett's Park when they were out playing. I said, "Hey, you know, Natalie, come and meet this Ghanaian woman. She's from the same country you're from." And Natalie was just like, "I'm not from Ghana. What are you talking about? Mm. I've never been to Ghana. Yes. I, I know nothing about Ghana." And and, yeah. and it really hit hit home to me that. It made me realise that you treat somebody whose appearance looks, the, the, their appearance is more striking than mm. somebody who might have a parent from Poland or somewhere. And you sort of, you forget that all she's known is a Swedish dog yeah. yes. you know, with Varmkorv exactly. and, you know, <laughs> Grut and all the yeah. normal Swedish things. Yeah. Exactly. It's like this, going back to Murhaf, this 12-year-old, this like he is Swedish in everything but the passport. Yes. Like... He's completely Swedish, but just because he doesn't have a piece of paper saying that he's Swedish or saying that he's got the right to live in Sweden, that just means that he's not Swedish on paper. And that's the, that's the only way in which he is not Swedish. Presumably he has a pretty broad Skonsk accent coming from him. <laughs> yeah, 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 he does. Yes. He does have a, yeah, yeah. He does have yes. a very Skonsk. 
with respect for, for the fact that the issue is incredibly complicated mm. and it's really hard to it's really hard to sort of come up with just straightforward solutions for all of these things the idea that a boy can live 12 years in Sweden born in Sweden, born in Sweden yeah. mm. um, kind of know nothing else than Sweden, than Sweden and still not have the right to live here is on a purely human level devastating mm. yes to hear about mm. yeah so there's, there's clearly something wrong in the system when that, when that is allowed to happen and that's not me sort of saying that you know he should we should just give up citizenship to everyone who's born it. I don't know what the answer is. So it's, it's I difficult. mean he doesn't he doesn't even have a persona. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what It's crazy. Blows my mind actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it really makes it really I know a lot of our listeners probably agree with this. Ha- not having a persona number really does make you a second class citizen in a lot of ways. Like yeah. there's so many things you can't access. Yes. Cuts you out of society in so many ways. And this is someone who goes to a Swedish school with all of his Swedish friends and he, he is Swedish. Yeah. <laughs> like yes. Okay, and thanks everybody for bringing us up to date on what has definitely been one of the biggest talking points in Sweden this week. And as we just heard, a young boy's skin colour and foreigner were enough to result in vicious comments on social media in recent days and we're going to stick with prejudice and racism as we turn to you Lola and your first novel In Every Mirror She's Black which deals with the experiences of three black women who moved to Sweden for different reasons but whose stories intertwine and congratulations first of all on a very thought-provoking book which has been very widely read and was even displayed on Times Square as a recommended read by Good Morning America that must have felt good right? You know what uh, considering the journey to publication yes it it really did feel like a a moment of this is an important story and an, an important story of Sweden's fabric to tell to the world. And for anyone who hasn't read the book, can you sort of give us a synopsis? What's it about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, In Every Mirror She's Black follows the lives of three very different women. They're all black at different socioeconomic levels yeah. who come to Sweden for different reasons. So there's Kemi, who is a top-notch marketing executive in the US that was poached to come help uh, fix a diversity marketing nightmare in Sweden. And uh, Brittany is a model turned flight attendant who falls in love with the man who owns the company that Kemi comes to work for. And then there's Muna, who is a Somali refugee, who we meet in an asylum center that's funded by the same man. And then she ends up as a janitor at his company. So they don't really interact much, but they're all tied to this kind of one influential white man Mm. called Yoni von Lundin. And as we mentioned, it's been very successful and it's being translated into different languages, right? So right now we've got German. So it's my other book is in 18 different languages, which is Logum. But this one, we've got a German publisher now. And uh, we're now getting a lot of interest for Mm. more like language languages. So, yeah. Yeah. But you wrote an opinion piece for CNN that was given the title, Why is Sweden afraid of publishing this book on race? Why do you think it's been such a struggle to get the novel published here in Swedish? Well, so the problem is, again, multi-layered. And I think what happened with this My Bloomer issue is highlighting some of the problems and why is that we don't want to believe this is also part of Sweden, that these stories exist. Mm. And so we were getting a lot of no from the Swedish publishers And they weren't really telling us why until one of the biggest ones. And I'm not going to mention the name. I'm Mm. kind of giving them, I'm calling them in versus calling them out, right? So uh, they said that it's great that Lola is a wonderful storyteller. And as an outsider, uh, she has this much insight into our society. Mm. And just to give you context, I've been living here for 
It's going to be over 13 years. I speak Swedish. I'm invested in the culture, but yeah. I'm still considered an outsider. Yeah. Right? And they said that, can you take away some sins from the Somali refugees section, Muna, because they feel like it's going to make the Swedish audience uncomfortable and you know and some of it is you know in the past and we don't we don't want that god forbid people read a book that's uncomfortable exactly right? exactly and 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 then i was asking them i said but which swedish audience do you mean the white swedes yeah. or the non-white swedes you know mm. and of course my response to them was a long email like really breaking yeah. down all there but the reason i wrote that cnn piece was that is the problem is that there's, and I think, James, you mentioned this, this veneer of we're always perfect. Mm. See how many refugees we take in. Yeah. But I have spent two years visiting a refugee center here in Sweden, working on a photo project, speaking with the refugees and um, kind of feeling their art and their pain and their dreams. And they are very grateful to be here, but they also want to feel like they have, their lives have meaning and purpose and yeah. they can contribute. And so... That CNN piece was saying that two things can be true. Just because you have problems to fix, just because you have this kind of racial tensions doesn't mean you're a bad person in terms of all the good things you're working on. It just means you have to talk about the serious issues yeah. so we can all solve them together. And that's the problem. Uh, Sweden doesn't want to really acknowledge, you know, that, <laughs> mm. that it's always like something bad happen somewhere else you know mm. at least the u.s we're not like the u.s at least there's no gun violence and and it's like that's not the issue the issue is a boy who was born here is still not considered swedish you know yeah. and so so there's so many layers to this uh, to this debate but i keep writing about it because it's it's so much bigger than my book it's not about my book or uh, my desires mm. it's actually more of giving people space in society to feel seen and heard and not gaslit. And it was interesting that your opinion piece, the CNN piece, was um, translated into Swedish recently by Expressen. Did you see any difference in the responses to the two different language versions? Yeah, no, it's been interesting because I found some comments where, you know, uh, gratefully people are in tagging me because they know better <laughs> not to tag me on. <laughs> but there was just a lot of sweet saying like, you know what, maybe we don't care about black women. Maybe the audience just doesn't want to hear about mm. black women's issues, which already orders us and says you are separate, you're different. Yeah. You, there's nothing I can connect with you. Uh, some were saying, well, go back to where you came from, which ironically is on the last page in the book. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, it's right there in the book. Uh, others were saying, well, we don't see color here in Sweden, so why are you focusing on color? Mm. Which is a problem. Yeah. It's actually a huge We'll get problem. to that in a minute. Yeah. yeah. You know, so the, the response has been diverse, and others, some were saying, but we can handle difficult subjects. Why is the publishing industry censoring things for us? Mm. We are not babies. Yeah. So, so the response has been wide, and as well as a lot of support as well. Yeah, what about the English language response? Were people surprised that it that was it wasn't getting published in Swedish? Yes, they were actually quite surprised, you know. And and there was it's been as with any book that's raw and real, it just triggers. There's so many triggers. Mm. A lot of people felt seen. There was a commenter that said, No, this is not my Stockholm, I live here. I don't recognize this Stockholm. I'm like, but you're Spanish and white. Of exactly. course you don't recognize yeah. it. And so there is uh, a lot of people that were upset that this was showing a few cracks in their idealized image of Sweden. Mm. They didn't like that, so they were fighting me, and they're not Swedes. And then there are people that just said, you know what, thank you that you're actually showing a more complete picture from this angle anyway 
of Sweden yeah. because it's a beautiful country. I love it. Yeah. You know, I'm a travel writer. I always <laughs> extol all its beauty and and what makes it great. But I'm also a black woman here. And, and I get a lot of racism as well directed mm. towards me and prejudice. So I cannot not write about that part of my experience as well. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about what you just mentioned there about Swedes saying, you know, we don't really see colour. And late last year, a UN delegation on racial justice and equality made a five-day visit to Sweden. And after the trip, the delegation said it was deeply concerned by Swedish authorities' reluctance to collect data on race and ethnicity, which it says is necessary to fight systemic racism. Do you share that concern? Yes, I do, deeply, because then it becomes an opaque system, right? So you can, so it says, oh, well, we're transparent in these ways, but it's very easy to hide uh, systemic racism, injustice, hate crimes, when you're not collecting the statistics on it. When you say to tell people, well, just work harder. Maybe you're not working harder without actually seeing the stats that, you know what, I'm actually working harder, but everything is not enough because you can see this, you know, like maybe 60% of Afro-Swedes may not, you know, get called back. You know, I'm just throwing out numbers here. uh, But having those statistics is really important because then you start seeing, okay, if this is what's happening to a group of people, then why is that? What's going on? Is there some systemic, you know, uh, Mm. exclusion that's happening? But for a country that doesn't like being criticized, you know, and doesn't want to see any of those kind of flaws, it's not going to do that. It doesn't want to see that. Mm. And so I think in the U.S. it helps because in the U.S. collects stats on everything, you know, on race, religion, gender, and that's where you can create programs to truly help in terms of inclusion and diversity and equity. So it's a, I think it's a big problem. And the UN actually told Sweden to do it. And it was just like brushed aside yeah. in, in media. Like, like, whatever, we don't, we don't do this. We don't need it. Well, mm. you know. So I think it was really interesting as well, that point you just made about, you know, we were talking to, was it a Spanish friend? Yeah. It was like, no, I don't recognize this at all. And yeah. we had this survey on the local a few months ago where we yes. asked readers to talk about their experiences yes. of racism. And I think a, a lot of us were surprised by the response because so many people... Yeah of sort of non-white origin were like, yeah, absolutely. I've experienced a lot of racism and they gave us very concrete examples. We're like, we don't see this. And yeah. it's, like, it's like we said, well, of course we wouldn't yeah. see it. Yes, yes. And and that's the thing, you know, it's um, that's why people stay silent because it's also a society. And that's why I wrote Logum as well, right? To really get into the deep, the psyche. Um, it's a society that excludes once you don't conform just immediately. And nobody mm. wants to feel like outside of the... Mm of the circle so so people just stay silent and keep their stories untold Mm. i think it's interesting kind of on that note you were saying that like white people were saying they hadn't experienced it but a a lot of white people did answer that survey saying that they had received kind of abuse if they were heard speaking another language so it's like you might not see directly that someone white could be an immigrant but as soon as you speak another language it's like the oh stop speaking english we speak swedish here you still get that response it takes maybe a bit longer to notice that you're different in some way but i think that kind of showed that it's it's not just racism it's also xenophobia and and i just just to add to what you said i've got a lot of wonderful responses from uh, white expats and immigrants yeah. that feel seen in the book mm. so even though they are not black yeah. women everything else they actually connect to it and they write to me and say mm. this is it 
thank you. I feel gaslit. I feel seen, you mm-hmm. know, through these women because they're just human. It's They're not defined by their skin. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, we spoke on the phone a few days ago yeah. and I was telling you that when I read the book, I really felt I identified yeah. with Muna, this, uh, yes. this Somali refugee. Yeah. She's really feels invisible and yeah. I think a lot of people experience that in their first period when you don't know the language yet yes. um, you're sort of socially excluded you don't have a job I mean this shows that there is an audience like if you think how many people in Sweden are classed as Utrikas food mm. like the, the foreign born population is massive yes yeah, and I mean, if if a white man from Ireland can read a book where he he feels like <laughs> exactly. relating to a Somali refugee, then that's you know wa- you don't have to look like her or have the same backstory to to resonate with her story. That's all for this week. Please share the podcast with anyone you think might like it, or on social media, or give us a rating or a review if you can. All of these things help us get the word out so we can keep bringing you these episodes. And thank you for listening. Our guest today was Lola Akinmade Okerstrom, and you can hear more from her interview in a bonus episode that will release early next week. Our panelists today were the locals James Savage, Richard Orange, and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Paula Mahoney and we'll be back again next week with a new episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.